Hello and welcome to the City Club of Cleveland, where we are devoted to conversations of consequence that help democracy thrive. It's Wednesday, May 3rd, and I'm Chris Nestrick. My pronouns are he, him, and I'm the Executive Director of the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless. We are happy at the we are at the Happy Dog in Gordon Square for the City Club's monthly Takes On series, and today we're going to be talking about youth and family homelessness. In March, the City Club welcomed author Andrea Elliott to discuss her book, Invisible Child. It was part of a One Community Reads, which is a collaboration effort of the City Club of Cleveland, Playhouse Square, and Cuyahoga County's nine public library systems to create a shared reading experience for the greater Cleveland community. In Andrea Elliott's book, we meet Dasani, a child in New York City, and her family who moves from shelter to shelter, battling persistent poverty and hunger, and in search for stability and a way forward. It was heavy and harrowing reminder of the struggles children and their families face and the work that needs to be done. In Cuyahoga County, 5,000 residents experience homeless each year. Youth comp comprise 8% and families 12%. Homelessness disproportionately affects black people, LGBTQ plus people, and individuals with disabilities. And in March, Cuyahoga County announced a pledge to reduce homelessness by 25% by 2027. Today, we continue this conversation on youth and family homelessness in Cleveland. And so I wanna welcome, joining me on stage is Carrie Gibbons, she, they, Queer Youth Outreach and Engagement Manager at the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless. David Merriman, he, him, director at the Cuyahoga County Department of Health and Human Services. Thank you for being here, David. Courtney Morgan, they, them, member of the REACH Youth Action Board. Thank you, Courtney. Christy Socio, she, her, assistant director at A Place for Me at the YWCA of Greater Cleveland. Now, if you have any questions for our panelists, you can text them at 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and Cynthia, with the City Club staff, will try to work them in in the second half of the program. Members and friends of the City Club, please join me in welcoming our panelists here at the Happy Dog. So I want to start this conversation by getting the lay of the land, um, something often we refer to Cleveland, the big picture of youth and family homelessness in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. I think there's no one more appropriate to do that than Christy. And because I know much of your work involves looking at system changes, equity, and the impact of homelessness on individuals and in our community. For example, on May 1st, there were 31 families experiencing homelessness, eight of which were newly homeless in our community on that day. So I ask you, I'm wondering, what is your work telling you about youth and family homelessness in our community? Who is experiencing this crisis? And what are the trends you're seeing? All right, thanks, Chris. Hi, everyone. Um, again, my name is Christy Socio. She, her pronouns. Um, I'm with A Place for Me. We're an organization that works to prevent and end youth and young adult homelessness in Cuyahoga County. Um, and like Chris said, just for really quick context, we do our work in three ways, through direct, direct work with young people, through systems change, and through authentic youth partnership, which is really the most important and central part of our work. We know that young people and anyone who has lived experience, those folks are the experts, and it's up to, up to us to work with them to make a change. And so what we're seeing, kind of the lay of the land, as Chris said, um, every year, over 500 young adults experience homelessness. That is a big number, but it's a manageable number. We're not seeing hundreds of thousands the way some communities are. And so we really, truly believe that working together, we can end homelessness and have housing for all folks in Cleveland and Cuyahoga County. 
Of the 553 young people faced or served in 2022, over 40% had some kind of disability. 30% were parents, so young adults who also have children of their own. 9% uh, were pregnant, expecting a baby on the way. 43% had foster care experience, with 28% having aged out of foster care. And um, one thing that's different for young adults in the general population is it skews much more female. 67% uh, of young people experiencing homelessness were female, 30% male, and 3% trans or non-binary young people. And of course, something that we can't talk about homelessness without talking about, like Chris said, is equity and racial equity. Over um, almost 80% of the young people we serve were black, which is a huge disparity to our county's overall population and a huge disparity from those who experience poverty in Cuyahoga County. So we know that to address homelessness, we can't just look at housing. We have to look at systemic factors. We have to look at racism. We have to look at how everything comes together and how the systems can be less like systems and treat those experiencing homelessness like people, get to know them, meet their needs, help them reach their goals and do it in a sustainable ongoing way. Because the other thing we see a lot is young people who are experiencing homelessness now as young adults who also experience it as a child. And that's a cycle that we can break. Thank you. I appreciate the comment about systems. Um, you know, David, I know you work as the director of Cuyahoga County Department of Health and Human Services. I would imagine like you, um, you work with multiple systems in your work, in your daily work. And I think something that this book shows us clearly is that homelessness is a complex interplay of different systems, right? Whether it's housing crisis, criminal legal system, employment, job and family services, behavior health, and obviously, um, others the book showed us how often these systems failed or succeeded the youth and families in crisis um you know i'm thinking locally you know we've heard the news most recently about uh youths uh staying at dcfs uh overnight on euclid avenue and so i'm interested in hearing your kind of like experience working with um you know these systems that interchange in our community <laughs> Uh, and maybe talk about a little bit like how DCFS responded in that way to people staying there. Thanks, Chris. Uh, you know, before I respond, I do want to acknowledge Bliss and, and Cynthia for setting off this event beforehand. Uh, great work today, and thank you very much for including us today. I, you know, as I consider this issue, and I, I hear the statistics that are presented by Christy, I'm, I'm left questioning, This is not, is this a story about numbers? Is this about the number of children that are in our building or in our street? Or is this a story about human beings? And what I would say about the children that are in our building, whether they're there for an hour, a day, a week, a month, or longer, every one of them lives with dignity. And our challenge is to find the resources that will meet their needs. There are children that need to be in Janina Hunter every day. Maybe they're coming back from a therapeutic service. Maybe they're going between foster homes. Maybe they're being dropped off by law enforcement at 2 o'clock in the morning when their home has been raised. And so kids will be in our building, unfortunately, because the problems that are driving them there are problems that are in our communities. And until we address those problems, we will have our children, our children. These are not those children. These are our children in our building. And what we have to do is we have to find solutions that meet what you exactly described, Chris, their complex needs. We have developed over years services that really consider their, their LGBT, LGBTQ plus identity. I, I think that we have to acknowledge this is a major population within the youth that we're serving. We are increasingly seeing children that are multi-systems. They are a combination of mentally um, ill, they have mental health problems, they have developmental disabilities, they're involved in the juvenile justice system all at the same time. And all too frequently, as they're, as they're recognized to be incompetent to stand trial for any criminal offenses they serve, they've been rejected by the service providers that are, they have a difficult job to place these children. So Chris, when you think about the interconnectedness of our services, and you think about the great book that Andrea Elliott brought to our community, I agree with you. This is a story about how the systems come together 
And it, it is unfortunately right now a story more about improvement than success. Yeah. And I think as we move forward, our only way forward is as a community and working together to address complex systems by bringing complex systems to focus. And that focus has to be those children, our children. So Courtney, I mean, you come here tonight with the deepest knowledge about the experience of homelessness. You work with young adults every day as their peer. There's a popular narrative around people experiencing homelessness, and then there's kind of like the blood and blown reality of what it's like. Um, and I want to ask you, what is that reality that you see or have experienced, and what is that like for the people you're serving? Well, my name is I um I work with my peers like on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, from my reach forward to um OECP, so you can work in like in person, um with them, like meeting up with them if they say like they need me or something like that. Um I'll go anywhere, every, everywhere, just to meet them, just to give them like resources and stuff because I know how it is. Um, because I was once in foster care, and um, I didn't have the best experience, but I did meet um, a lot of people along the way, and some of the people I did meet are here in this room today, so I'm really happy. Um, but yeah, um, the main thing I feel like um, for youth, not just foster youth, but youth overall, I feel like we don't get hurt a lot, like. People listen, but they pick and choose what they hear from us. Like they just hear, like, "Oh, it's just a a kid that's being bad. They got to go from home, or they just wasn't listening to their mom. That's why they're in their predicament." Or like, um, a lot of people look at like the young women that get pregnant, like um, at a not so reasonable age. They're like, "Oh, they're fast. So this is what you get. Like now you're pregnant. Now you don't have no resources. Now you don't have no help. Maybe you don't have like your mom and dad and your wife no more because you wanted to, you know, go down that route." But um, people don't really listen to the stories because sometimes the story is not what you think it is. Some like women get touched or raped or some women be in sticky situations where they end up pregnant or even the males like I hear a lot of males get touched and they don't even want to talk about it because it's just like I'm a man I'm supposed to take care of the house I'm supposed to take care of my mom why would I want to you know even express how I feel if I grew up in a household where feelings did not exist somebody telling you hi and how are you like how are you feeling today did you eat how is school you know, do you need any hygiene items? Um, just little stuff like that, like that people take for granted. Um, I think one thing I've learned being in care and out of care is that all the young people want is somebody to love them unconditionally. And when I say that, I know people think it's like relationships and all that, but I'm talking about like unconditionally is like, I'm not related to you whatsoever. We might not look alike. We might not like the same things. We might not like the same food. We didn't come from the same background. We might not even like, maybe I'm from a certain state and you're from here, but loving our condition, I feel like no matter what, I'm bringing to the table, you don't judge me. Like if I'm telling you like, I'm depressed 24 seven and I'm suicidal, you don't look at me as Oh, when I talk to this person, this is where the conversation will go. Like, anytime I come to you, you're trying to uplift me and tell me I'm beautiful and I'm pretty and I'm smart and I'm intelligent and I can be whatever I want to be with the help of people um, that I surround myself around because I feel like a lot of youth don't get that support that they need. Like, even though they're in care, even though they're surrounded by social workers guarding their life. Um, their county worker, um, even the judge. Sometimes it takes a village to make somebody. And I feel like a lot of people don't get that. Like a lot of people be like, uh-uh, that's your problem. Like that's your that's your kid, you know, that's your case. Well, you get paid for that. But I feel like the people that get overlooked and not looked at all is the people that don't get paid for them. Like honestly, if I can like just I don't know, like, thank the people that didn't get paid, that helped me, like, mentally, financially, 
like physically I would I would give them like my all like I made it here because of them the people that are not really foster parents the people that are not county workers the people that are not county like because I feel like they listen more than the people that was getting paid to be in my face every day. Courtney, I think you hit on this a little bit, but I kind of want to follow up because I think it's really important. Is like based on this and your experience and like what you've said, like what does genuine community care and support look like for young people experiencing homelessness in our community? Um, just awareness. Um, I know when I was homeless, I didn't tell anybody. Um, I felt like it took people till I graduated, kind of, to know that I was homeless. And a lot of people were like upset and mad because they're like, why didn't you tell me I could have helped you and stuff like that? My thing is like, I'm not going to tell you my struggle if you can't even notice that I'm crying. Or you can't even notice that I'm not eating. Or you don't notice that my hair is not done. I don't have clothes on. Or I'm wearing the same clothes for a month. If that didn't concern you, why the heck would I tell you anything? So I feel like it just takes people paying attention like honestly just looking at somebody like you can tell a lot just from sitting back and observing somebody it's not that hard we pick up our phone and look at everybody on instagram and tiktok and youtube and all this and i feel like the people right in front of us don't even get that type of knowledge they get oh mm, they're stinky oh their hair's not done oh they have holes in their clothes oh this down the third but i feel like people on social media that we don't even know get more attention and love than the people in our community. So, Carrie, I mean, I guess part of your job is to like, to see people, right? To, to meet people and see them. Um, you know, I think I'm often struck by this statistic that I don't think we oftentimes hear enough is that nationally around 30% of young people experiencing homelessness identify as LGBTQ plus. Uh, and your work is specifically dedicated to working with folks that identify this way. Do you, like in your experience, does, do you think this kind of tracks in our community? Are you seeing, you know, are the people you're working with, uh, young adults, um, you know, coming out to you and identifying this way? And, and, and it, can you talk a little bit about like what is going, what's happening there? So... Hello, my name is Carrie Gibbons. My pronouns are she, they, and I am the Queer Outreach and Engagement Manager for NIA. Um, what I see uh, pretty consistently is that by the time someone ends up giving me a call or being referred to me, they've already been informed that I'm a soft landing, which means they can immediately show up as themselves, right? And a lot of the times in our systems, we're being ask questions in such a way that there's no wholeheartedness or person-centered questioning. So when someone does come to me, um, uh, two Fridays ago, I, I got a referral from uh, Estabrook, the recreation center. By the way, I'm very impressed with um, just how their social services systems is working, and I'm not usually one to say that, so David, did you hear that? Um, <laughs> but in general, like, I'll sit down with a client, and they're queer in my title, and, and let's be honest, like, a lot of the young folks are pretty woke, and they're like, you are a safe spot, right? And so this young person who just turned 18 two weeks prior, mom kicked her out, had a very hard life she is working part-time and doing what she can she's trying to become a lifeguard and immediately within just a couple minutes very shy person too like off rip you know and i love shy people um because i'm extroverted and so she came out to me as bisexual and in that moment the the two workers were like say what and it's like, I know the bee's invisible, but we're going to give it light here. But the thing is, is that in my work, I, I see the person for who they are and where they are, right? And I have clothes in my car so that folks who need them can change them, right? And I happen to carry wigs in my car as well so that a trans client can feel beautiful in that moment. And I do, I mean, like, but this is three years into it, right? 
And because even though someone's going through the hardest thing that they're probably going to go through, it doesn't mean they need to feel like dog shit going through it. I don't know. I'm sure yes, someone. Yes, girl. I don't know if you've seen one at the city club before. Maybe it was a bomb. Okay. So, David, coming back to you, uh, you know, I want to recognize that in March, Cuyahoga County released its first ever kind of strategic plan to address homelessness. Um, you know, in my mind, a pretty impressive document. Um, you know, and I think one of the things I think it raises is like, while we've not seen significant decreases in homelessness in our community over the years, the plan does have an ambitious goal, ambitious and aspirational goal to reduce homelessness by 25% by 2027, I believe. Um, so I want you to talk a little bit about that, but I think like, I, I would like you to focus on like, what do you believe needs to happen to achieve this goal? This isn't, you know, I, I appreciate it for its ambitiousness, but it's no easy task given what we've just heard here today. Chris, thanks for recognizing it. I, I feel almost a, a little bit unprepared to answer this question because most of the folks that are on this dais with me were more involved with writing the plan than I was, including you and your team. So it, it's, it, it's, a, it's an important question. And I, I have a copy of the summary of it. It's an outstanding document. What resonates with me is, is not that it's a strategic action plan for homelessness, but it's about housing through equity. And I, and I think we have to stop and recognize that to, to address homelessness, we need housing. And, I think we need, and, and what, so what, what it calls for is navigation. It calls for the creation of housing. It, it calls for focusing on a term that I actually feel a little bit uncomfortable with, self-populations. I understand it's a technical term, I'm a government employee and we all talk in jargon, so excuse me for that. But to talk about a subpopulation when it's a person, when we're talking about the LGBTQ community, we're talking about seniors, we're, we're talking about youth. I'm sorry, these aren't subpopulations, these are neighbors. And, and in so many ways, I just need to recognize we need to humanize these problems. We need to call out and say, these are in every one of our communities. Every community is going to be affected by this issue in one way or another. And the, the job of the county, the job of my boss, Chris Ronane, is to get folks that are concerned about this issue on the corner of 58th and Detroit, as well as those that are up maybe across from this or that uh, you know, high-priced shopping plaza, or in this or that gated community. So it really is a, a call to action for all of us. This is not a strategic plan. This is a strategic action plan. And I think for us to mobilize, to respond to this, we're going to have to make some very difficult decisions. There's some tough decisions ahead of us. This is right now the year where our providers are struggling to keep their doors open because our rates have not changed and have not kept up with inflation. This is the known issue, but we have some tough decisions in front of us. Are we gonna to choose to fund this or that? Are we gonna to choose to continue with programs that may or may not be working, but they're popular? Or are we going to prioritize and we're going to say, these are the things that we hold dear, that we are, are committed to as valuable, and we're going to address. And I think Melissa Sirak and the Office of Homeless Services is absolutely the right team to lead us in that response. Because they can't do it alone. They can't do it without on this diet, but also out in this room and, on, and, and watching us online. They can't do it alone. They can, we can do it together. So I, I think it's a community effort. And we just have to think about how we serve populations. I even feel comfortable with that. How we serve our neighbors that really share in our community and maybe are diverse from us, but are no less valuable. Thank you. I would just ask, yeah, the Office of Homeless Services that we created an action plan for this, for this work to happen. Uh, it's, it is an impressive document. I want to come back to this idea of community work. Um, you know, Courtney, you're involved in community work. Um, and most recently you're involved in like the creation of a drop-in center, not too far from where we are now. Um, I, 
want to recognize that there is a small group of community members that have been actively opposing it. Um, can you talk to us briefly about the importance of having such a resource in our community? And how might that impact the youth that you work with if that resource came to reality? So the Darpin Center is something very dearly to me and other youth. Um, it's a need that like meets everything. Like it's gonna be like filing for like food stamps or helping like if you have like a kid, like if you need cures, like if you need help with like a voucher for like daycare or something like that, or if your kid has to like need something medically or uh, whatever like that, we're gonna have staff on board for that. Um, we're gonna have like a clothes closet, hygiene closet. Um, we're gonna have specialists, like a therapist and a counselor, because um, I know a lot of the youth know about that, but sometimes they don't even know how to sign up or where to start, or like some of them just kind of wanna like, let me try it out because, um, you know, you hear a lot of stuff, but it's like, you gotta try it out to see if you really like it. Um, Another thing is that we're gonna have um, workers there too, like from all walks of life. So like we're gonna have like uh, county workers and stuff like that too. So say if like you're aging out and you're eligible for like bridges and other stuff, if you're going into college, there's this thing called College Bounty EBT that actually gives you money just for like being in classes um showing up for school and stuff like that so if you need like extra money that goes towards your school or even if it pays for like um school supplies or outside of school things you can use that um so just resources that like you wouldn't know of or maybe you never heard of or resources that you may, might not know that be eligible for you because everybody's situation is different i might come in and be like hey i need help with like dental with somebody else might be like i need help with the whole nine yards and then somebody else coming and be like i only need help with food because i haven't ate so it just depends on like how the youth come in and what they need and the biggest thing about the drop-in center that's going to be different from any other drop-in center is our hospitality like that's the main thing i keep bringing up everybody like i graduated uh from tracy and the hospitality range so my biggest thing is like open arms welcoming nobody wants to walk in the door and be like okay what do you need what's everything blah 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 here's all everything here's the paper here's the numbers talk to people nobody wants that like i will walk out and be like yeah y'all are crazy so um my biggest thing is like when they come in like greet them hey have you ate are you hungry here's the kitchen here's something to eat are you cold do you need a jacket a cover like what what do you need right now that's going to make you feel the most comfortable so if they're coming in and like they're saying like i haven't ate all day we'll have something for them if they're saying like if they're a young lady they're on that cycle hey i'm cramping really bad you can help them with that like i just want to meet you where you're at right now so we can help you get to where you're going i don't want somebody like overwhelming the youth and stuff like that because i know how that feels when i finally got to that point of getting home i just felt like everything was really shoved in my face and it's just like okay where do i start so instead of like just doing that to anybody else the biggest thing is just like open arms welcoming and just meeting them where they're at and take baby steps honestly so if it takes a year for them to get where they're going that is fine we're not going to judge you at all if it takes shorter than that then that's fine but we're going at their pace they are human they can talk they can walk i just believe in going at their own pace like even if it's a hookup and road say we're helping somebody we don't see them in for a while and then they come back and want to continue on with their plan that is going to be okay i know a lot of people be like oh i haven't talked to the youth in a month i don't know what's on their phone we're just going to drop their case that's like anywhere honestly we don't want to be like that we want to be like we're going to give them time to come back to us because they're going to find their way back to us like they've seen how we were they've seen what we can do they'll come back you just have to have hope and when they do come back check in with their mental if you know something's off that you didn't see before ask before just diving in right back into the play because now it might be new barriers than the barriers that you are already working with so just taking your time and actually getting to know somebody is the biggest thing that um, our Drop-In Center is going to provide for the young youth. Thank you.
kind of quickly before uh, we move to kind of questions and answers, I'm hearing a lot of what you're saying that you're providing is a lot of the work, maybe Carrie, you're doing on the streets, like outside of your car. Mm -hmm. um, and I think in so many ways, COVID has laid bare the extent of the mental health crisis in our community, particularly with young adults and families. Um, you know, so my question to you is like, what, you know, in relation to the youth drop-in center and any other services, like, what do you think is happening with the folks you are working with? Like, what could we be doing better? And like, what are you seeing on the street with the folks you're working with? And then like pretty quickly, yeah. Um, I think that it'll be a, a blessing once the drop-in center is open because it gives the opportunity, like for me, it's point A, point B, point C, point D with my client and all of these entities, right? Like aren't necessarily talking to one another. And so one place might be person first for this client, but the other place they're just a number and they're at day 31 and they have to close them. So I think that right now creating more liaisons between our systems um, and like really opening the approach of a, a more of a non-binary system, um, I think would really allow for everyone to serve in a matter that is not so segregated. Thank you. We're about to begin our audience Q&A. For our live stream audience, I'm Chris Nestrick, the Executive Director of the Northeast Ohio Coalition for the Homeless. And moderator, and moderator for tonight's conversation. Joining us for our panel conversation on youth and family homelessness is Carrie Gibbons, they, them, I mean, she, them, Queer Youth Outreach and Engagement Manager at NEOC. David Merriman, he, him, Director of the Cuyahoga County Department of Health and Human Services. Am I supposed to ring the bell? Oh. <laughs> right. Courtney Morgan, they, the member of the Reach Youth Action Board, and Christy Socio, Assistant Director of A Place for Me at the YWC of Greater Cleveland. If you are here with us in person, you can line up next to the microphone to my left and ask your question. If you're joining us virtually or are perhaps a little microphone shy, you can text them at 330 541 5794. That's 330-541-5794. You can also tweet them at the City Club, and Cynthia with the City Club will work to try to work to get them in. Hello, my name is Moses, and uh, I went from working with the homeless youth, youth population to working with the adult population. So how do we make bridge that gap? I remember you were talking about transition. So how do we, how can we collaborate to bridge that gap and to make that collaboration happen for someone who's been displaced or, and making that transition? And that's for all of you guys. Uh, hi. So thank you for your question. I think what I find to be the most interesting thing is that statistically we see that someone as a child who experiencing homelessness will then experience it as a young adult. And then what I'm also seeing is that someone as a young adult is also experiencing homelessness as an adult, right? And so I think where we are very much a community who wants to get people housed and every housing is a human right. But how also- do, How do we get to housing? right? I think soft skills. I also think that providing an opportunity for people to unpack their trauma is a really good start to understanding where they are. Because if you're walking with your trauma and it keeps blowing up in your face, like there's just going to be consequences to that on your own person, right? Um, but I do believe that in creating environments where people feel that they can unpack what has happened to them, that will give them an opportunity to then get involved in employment, get involved in volunteering or whatever passions they have, right? 
So for youth that are making that transition, um, what do you guys do? Like, what is what is in place for for youth that are making that transition? Because from my understanding, and as a black man in America, period, the only thing that is going to get us somewhere is employment and education. Okay. Mm -hmm. I can, question. Yeah, great question. I can chime in. So one of the things I just want to acknowledge your question is the separation is really arbitrary. Like someone in the federal government one day decided when you're 18, you're an adult. And then a few years later, it was like, okay, yeah. And then when you're 24, you're like really an adult, <laughs> which is completely arbitrary. Like who in this room at 24 was fully formed or at 18 was fully formed or now in this day is fully formed. And we know young people's brains especially are still developing. For young people who've experienced trauma into your 30s, your brain is still developing. And it's really normal to try things out, to make mistakes. But what's not normal is to not have a safety net and have to experience homelessness because of that or because of where you come from or because of what your family support is able to provide or not able to provide. Okay, so from the research that I as a single black man with no kids, let's say I'm making a transition from youth to adulthood as opposed to a woman who was making that transition or as no matter if she has kids or not, there are resources for women and um, single parents, but there aren't that many resources for like a single dad or dad that has kids that is making that transition. So that's our problem and that's what we need to focus on moving forward. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I live on West 38th Street on the near west side. Uh, I've known David Merriman literally since he was born. Um, he was raised on the near west side before it became Ohio City. Um, and is raising his kids there now. Uh, I can judge from the choices that the other panelists have made, their attitudes, their background, their experience, their interests. Um, in our neighborhood, as was mentioned earlier, there is opposition to the youth drop-in center in the old uh, Lutheran uh, Children's Aid building. Um, the opponents say, oh, they support these kinds of services. They just don't want to have it in a residential neighborhood next door because they, and then they quote all kinds of potential uh, dangers, that there's enough stress with homeless people on the near west side and they don't want to add to it uh can you speak to answering those things i mean i realize that this is very difficult because they've actually filed a lawsuit to try to block it um but can you answer can you speak to answering those kinds of concerns i i mean i'll start but then you know, i know others want to respond first thank you for your kind words and affirmation and I, I would actually acknowledge all those in this room that have supported me and, and, and helped me get to this point and I think there's a lot of folks in this room that can share that uh, you know I actually I think we have to at some point recognize we're not always going to all agree there will be times that we will disagree and it's just a question of whether or not we'll disagree with civility and whether we'll see dignity in the other person I think all, all too frequently we, we demonize we belittle and we, we dismiss other points of view as being just inherently invalid. And I don't think that's necessary. There is a process in our country to work out disagreements, and this is going through it. I will also tell you that on the day that this item was coming to the Board of Control, Chris Renane was on the phone jockeying for votes, making sure there was enough people that were going to support it to keep it moving forward and to not stop. And I, and I think, thank you. And I, and I think at the end of the day, it's our obligation to just keep moving the ball forward. There will be times that we will be stopped or we will be slowed. It does not have to end. It just takes more movement. It takes more pressure. And I think ultimately this project will be successful for everyone in this community because at the end of the day, it will lift up the dignity of individuals. Uh, I do have one other just quick connect, uh, correction. I think earlier Carrie recognized a great program at Esther Book. And, and listen, we'll take every bit of credit. We can get in health and human services, but that's... That's a program my good friend, Mayor Justin Bibb in the city of Cleveland. And I, and I point that out because a lot of folks think of human services as the county service. It's actually not just the county. 
It's a community service. It's shared by the city, it's shared by the state, and many municipalities. And I think that's the togetherness that we need. And I, and I think in that spirit, you're going to see that this youth drop-in center is going to succeed as well. Um, I'd like to put into, um, you may have heard of some legal setbacks at the moment, um, but we have faith in our team and the youth and everybody that's been going through this with us. Um, I do think all the support we've been getting, um, all the people that we talk to, even the people that don't uh, support this, I feel like once this comes about and once we get up and running, I feel like, um, and they see the work that we're doing and stuff like that, they would definitely change their minds. They would definitely like, you know what, that is somebody maybe I would want to work with. Maybe that is like a community that I do want to work with because the main thing we want to show people is like, yeah, we might have setbacks. Yeah, people might not like us, but we're going to stand tall until it's nothing left that we can do like at all. And one thing I want to put out there is like, me as being a youth and the youth I work with and uh, my peers and stuff like that, we don't give up easily. And I'll just add really quickly because I know there's other questions, but just to your question about those um, concerns cited about young people, the young people we work with are the most incredible, smart, amazing, talented young people you will ever meet. They've not had the same opportunities to the, the first question of they might not have had the same supports to get education or a career path yet, but they have goals and they are working on it and they are actually more likely to be victims of crimes and to be perpetuating them than their peers. Mm -hmm. So what they're looking for is a safe place to what Courtney and Carrie talked about earlier, where they can come with their whole selves, get the space to process the trauma they're going through and achieve those goals. They are on their way to do great things if we just give them the opportunity to. And I'm one of those youth, so we're going to leave right now. Thanks for coming out tonight. Uh, this is probably for David, but if you other three panelists have anything to add. Uh, the Biden administration uh, formed the Interagency for the Homeless uh, and set a goal, pretty lofty goal. Uh, but were any of you guys involved? Did they solicit any kind of feedback from you how that program should be developed or anything and uh, are you involved are you going to be involved on an ongoing basis uh, thank you very much for the question and, and for acknowledging the leadership that we're getting in this country right now on these issues I, I gotta say I wasn't involved and, and there are probably folks in this room that were one person that was involved involved was HUD secretary Marshall Fudge I don't think there can be any question about how much support she has for this, uh, for this work. Uh, I can tell you that that same level of support exists within our county council and our and our peer council at City, City of Cleveland. And, and at the end of the day, what I think one of the things that we're really focused on right now, our Office of Homeless Services has for the first time, at least in recent memory, received a HUD grant to address youth homelessness. And actually a lot of the folks that are leading that work are sitting to my right and left. And, and I think that is the sort of leadership that we need, and it's, it's distributed. I think Biden, for this project, for this plan to work, it really needs to hand the reins over to the community. It needs to hand it over to local government whenever possible. We are ready, we are prepared, and I think we are mobilized to respond and, and to push through where there is the opposition. So I acknowledge his great work. I acknowledge the work of Secretary um, uh, Fudge. And, and, and frankly, I think we're ready to go. But I, I, let me open it up on others' heads as well. I just went to a couple webinars. Hey, folks. My name is Al Gennaro, and I really wasn't supposed to be here. I just heard about this about 40 minutes ago. <laughs> but um, I had to come. Uh, there's a couple of reasons why. Number one, um, I was born in Ohio uh, in, in Fairview Hospital. Um, but since I was three years old, I was raised in Florida. And um, I'm from Miami. I'm a Miami boy. But what we did in Florida was start youth programs called Rite of Passage. 
and now I'm in Ohio to bring those programs. So I really don't have any questions. I really just came with some answers to be able to help with some things. Um, here's the thing. A lot of things that you guys are talking about right now with homelessness and different things like that, we started putting things in place so I know that I can be a resource for you with what we're doing. I was one of the chaplains that was a counselor at Stoneman Douglas after the shooting. And we also have programs that I'm bringing up here called Pros for Girls to teach girls their self-worth. Um, we got situations for young men as well, and we got a huge camp that's coming. And the thing is, is the reason why I felt like it was important to say something is the young man was talking about being a black male. Um, that's a great situation, but at the end of the day, it's not about employment no more. We have to, we have to get to teaching our kids again about entrepreneurship and how to be able to make your own money and not wait. Um, so thank you, thank you. But um, we're going to be doing that in Ohio. Now, since I didn't know about this, I'm going to find out more information on how we can help you guys because that's why we're here. But what I want to do is I want to be able to take all the resources and things that we've had there and plan them uh, here in Ohio. Uh, I want to do that for the next couple of years because I got to be honest, I'm only here to help bring those programs here. Then I'm back in Florida. But what I really love about this room, and I want to give you guys flowers, we always tell our children it's not about race, it's about love. And this room represents that. And one of the things a lot of people used to always come to us and talk to us about is all children welcome. All children are welcome and they are safe because all children are affected. What we deal with with children, homelessness is the biggest trauma trigger we deal with. So it's not even just about resources and housing. It's about depression, anxiety, addiction, suicide. And we might have to make sure that we are able to give these kids the resources needed so they can deal with that situation. Um, one of the stories that I love the most, and you can go to the Disney platform and watch the Marvel Kids stuff, is a young lady by the name of Rebecca, who's a transgender lady. I don't know. You know, see, look at that face. Look at that face. <laughs> so I always show people the story of Rebecca, because when you watch the story of Rebecca, you realize that Rebecca is a young woman. She might have been born in a male body, but she is a young woman. And when we start understanding that these are human journeys and we respect each journey for what it is, then we can give the kids the resources that they need in order for them to have a good life on this earth. It's not about Republican. It's not about Democrat. It's about us. So I'm here for you. I'll get you with you after this. I just wanted to introduce everything. Not take it over, but I really love what I see. nervous uh yeah i'm at blank right now uh i just wanted to say uh like i grew up from the straits and i've seen a lot of like homeless and this one like i live paycheck to paycheck and it's a well not just the one day but seeing like the homeless i have a lot of homeless by me where i live um but i remember sitting on a patio with Carrie and in Ohio City and this woman walking up, it was pouring rain, she had no shoes on. And I saw Carrie walk out and went out to her like trunk and said, hey, I have these socks. Here's a bus pass, like this is where you need to go. And that was inspiration for me because one, I don't hand out a lot of money, but I will go to the store and buy quickly Hey, do you need food or whatever? Whatever you need. I've always been that way growing up. Um, to this day, since seeing that moment, I'm like, it was heartwarming. And this program that these guys have, their heart standing behind it. Like you go to Chicago, you go to New York, you see like the homeless, Arizona. Um, everybody does a lot in every community. Uh, I know right down the street, Triscuit. Yeah, the rabbit station, all the homeless goes by. Uh, homeless people come by, and my kid has a very healthy dog. My girlfriend and I give them treats, like, hey, Danny, like, and they're harmless. Uh, whatever they got going on in their life, uh, the way you can give. Right now, I, I gave gloves over in my car. They were my gloves. I don't use them, but here you go. It's fucking freezing outside. 
um, but they inspired me in their program. And I think it's uh, amazing that they're pushing this in Cleveland because you see it all over the world and every single city, if you're able to give something, it's gloves, a sandwich, or a coat, or whatever. My donations now, and Carrie knows, like, I'll have bags on my front porch, like, or here's a bed. Like, if you have a, a safe house or whatever, like, anybody can be like, just need somewhere to stay. At least I can donate. And Carrie has taught me a whole new world, which I always had in my heart. But this program that they have is freaking amazing. I'm, I'm, I'm all for the movement, and I think it's amazing. I want to thank you. I want to also acknowledge there's a lot of folks in this room that give. I think one of the most important ways that we can give is to find somebody that's never voted and give them a franchise that they need. Give them the ability to help make the decisions for this community, for this city, this county, this state, this country. I think giving is something that all of us do on a daily basis in one form or another. But I, I also would acknowledge there are special times and, and as a community, we have to lift that up. We have to recognize it, and we should all be committed to it. So thank you. Hi. Um, I'm Ulnara Parasta, she, they pronouns, and I am the Senior Director of Programs at the LGBT Community Center of Greater Cleveland. I um, want to give props to everybody, everybody up here. Um, and I just want to, I had two points. The first one is, what is preventing us from mobilizing additional resources so that we can have more than one carry? Carry is our lifeline at the center around supporting youth that come in that are in crisis. And we need more than one carry. One carry for all of Cuyahoga County is not enough. And when we talk about people that are being overworked, underpaid, working for organizations that are under-resourced chronically, that is really problematic. We've known that this is a problem. And clearly, whatever we've been doing, the staff, what is going to be the new way? I'm not here for that. I want to know what's going to happen that's I love the idea of the drop-in center in Ohio City. My concern is that that drop-in center only has limited hours, does not have capacity at the moment to be overnight, which is when most people need a place that's safe and affirming and welcoming to be. So A, what are we going to do to make that happen? And B, I want to know more about all the ways in which we are going to ensure that that place is affirming and safe for LGBTQ plus kids because 25.5% of youth in our public high schools, according to the most recent YRBS survey, identify as LGBTQ plus. That is a quarter of our population at some point in the future if we extrapolate. So those are my two questions. Thank you. Woo! I can't produce myself anymore <laughs> than I already, I already do. Um, I, I agree. And um, I think also that um, <clears throat> I can't really speak to the drop-in. So that's, that's my response. Um, I'll just yes to all those things, first of all. Um, one kind of push towards the right direction is this um, funding, the Youth Homelessness Demonstration Program funding. Um, our youth board, including Courtney, have been really trying to figure out, okay, we have $2 million a year. How do we use that? Because our original plan was all the housing and all the navigators and all the carries and $4 million or, two, you know, $2 million a year goes really quickly. Currently, the iteration is to have six additional navigators, including two specific outreach workers. Everyone who is a part of this work has to be affirming of the LGBTQ community. It is a non-negotiable. You will be monitored by young people with lived experience, most likely young people who are part of the community with lived experience. So it's, it's not enough. It does not meet all the needs, but it's just one step we're taking the moment to try to move in that direction. Um, and as far as your question about like what's going to happen to the youth after hours, we do have steps in plan 
uh, to make sure before we're closing, everybody does have somewhere safe um, to go. Uh, so we are networked with other um, organizations. So to make sure that doesn't happen, because I know that's a big question that the neighbors and people like you have. Hi everyone. Uh, I guess I'm the last question tonight. Uh, my name is Bree. My pronouns are they them, and uh, I do a lot in my professional world. But I'm here just as a community resident. Um, I guess I may it may be a multifaceted question, but um, one of the things that was just lifted up was like the drop-in center being at Ohio City and different things like that. Um, one of the things that I wanted to raise was the fact that. Homelessness is rooted on structural racism, right? Um, ableism and, and misogynoir, right? Which is specific to black black women, right? Um, and so, you know, we have the drop-in centers at Ohio City. Um, we live in a city that is has been uh, systemically redlined to where majority of the most impacted individuals are on the east side. So, um, you know, I look around this room and a lot of people don't look like me. Right. <laughs> um, so in terms of, you know, getting to the, the base of folks and the people who are most directly impacted, how, what are we doing to stand up these, these resources like the drop-in center or even like the LGBT center at Greater Cleveland that, that is not on the east side? Um, how, what are we doing to, to, to bring those, to not necessarily bring those people to us, but to go to, the, to, the, to those folks? Because they're, they're the ones... The black communities, the, the black LGBT community, the black trans community are the ones that are most impacted by this. Um, and then, I guess this is not just a question to you know the panel, but also a question to anybody in this room that um, you know who are in the closest proximity to privilege. What are you doing in your everyday work or your everyday lives to to dismantle this systemic issue? That is a great question. Um, fun fact, I actually live in Ohio City um, myself. I actually have dropped into the drop-in center, uh, the LGBTQ center a couple times, just to see what it was about. Um, and I do go to the office where we work at a place for me. It's kind of like located close to um, Children's Services Building, like downtown. Um, that's kind of like downtown east side-ish. Um, so I even wonder, like, there too, like, how do people that are, we're not directly close to, how do they get to us? And um, we do provide transportation, like um, RTA passes and stuff like that. If it's a crisis and they can't get to us and their social worker can't get to us, we will try our hardest to come to them. Like, we don't want nobody... Um, just saying, like, I try to reach out to this resource and there is no way. Like, there's other resources that we have that will bring you to us. Like, we will dip into emergency funding and stuff like that. As far as the drop-in center goes, yes, we, we did pick uh, this location, but that's because we feel like we deserve to be here, too. Just because I don't see my color in here, we're going to be in here soon. So just like everybody else is in here, I want our color to be in here too, the LGBTQ that we can represent. We don't really come to the West Side because my biggest thing is I don't hear, I don't see my people. I don't hear my people down there. So why would I go in no lands territory? That's not my territory. We should be able to go anywhere in the world and be comfortable. Why is everybody stuck on the East Side or Kinsmen or wherever they are, the Valley and stuff? Why are we all over there in Hollywood and everything, but we can't be over here where the community is welcoming and actually peaceful and all the stuff that happens like in our typical neighborhoods are not happening here. It's more like a safe haven kind of over here, but it's like everybody don't get to experience that, experience that because we're so stuck in. I'm used to my area. I don't see my people down there. I'm not going down there. So. The whole dynamic of the drop-in center being in a different area that it would not be typically in is because we feel like we deserve to be down here just like everybody else. Come on out. So thank you once again to our panelists for joining us at the Happy Dog. Tonight's forum is part uh, of the City Club and the Community Series sponsored by the Bank of America.
Be sure to join the City Club on Tuesday, May 9th. The City Club will relaunch the book City Club Book Club. That's kind of difficult. With award-winning actor and author Patterson Joseph, who will be discussing his new book, The Secret Diaries of Charles Ignatius Sancho. Tickets are still available for this forum, and you can purchase them and learn more about other forums at thecityclub.org. Thank you, members and friends of the City Club, both here and streaming live. I'm Chris Nestrick, and this forum is now adjourned.